When the gospel proclaimed without power, it, it lacks the goodness, right? So if I proclaim a gospel, but then there is no transformation, right? right? That Jesus Christ came to to transform your life, but then you see no one's lives being transformed by the gospel, mm. then you're like, mm. well, that isn't good news. And that's why our culture, they've heard the gospel, but they haven't seen its power. So they're turning to like crystals and oils mm. for mm. power. Like mm. what is going on? Like we have, mm. we have divinity himself saying yeah. that he's hungering to pour out his spirit on, upon all flesh and transform our lives to heal the sick and raise the dead. And we're like, maybe this rock will give me energy. Yeah. Maybe this oil will give me peace. And yeah. It's because we literally have intellectualized the gospel mm -hmm. to the place mm -hmm. where we just talk about it devoid of power. Yeah. So w the well, people don't believe it's even true. Well to Beyond Damascus, the show where encounter meets mission. My name is Dan Dimite, and I'm joined here today with my brothers in Christ, Aaron Richards yes. and Brad Pierrot. Let's do this. And today we are going to be talking about whether or not we are actually doing evangelization or if we're just talking about the new evangelization. Like mm -hmm. I think so often it could be a problem where the church picks up these trendy words where we start talking about like, oh yeah, the new evangelization, missionary discipleship, apostolic mm -hmm. mission. And mm -hmm. we start using all these words and all we do is we talk, 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 but we don't actually do the things we talk about doing. And so today we're going to talk about the new evangelization or do evangelization and what are the good things happening with the new evangelization and where can we get better in doing the work of evangelization, which good. I'm really excited good, for. Good, you guys good. excited for that? Yeah, oh, yeah. All right, Brad, can you open us in prayer? I can. Yeah. In the name of the father and the son and the Holy spirit. Amen. Amen. Lord, thank you so much for giving the gift of your son, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus, for giving us good news that we're called to share with the world. We pray that as we talk about evangelization today, Lord, that you would um, allow our hearts to be so grateful for what you've done for us and that they would overflow into sharing what you've done for us with others, that every encounter with you, Lord, as we say here, should lead to mission. And we pray that that would happen more for us after this episode today. Open our hearts and minds. Uh, we love you. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Father, Father, Son, Son Holy Spirit. Spirit. Amen. Yeah, so we like St. Paul. Um, mm -hmm. He's a decent dude. And uh, this, this show's all about like what happened after... Uh, St. Paul's Damascus moment, right? That he didn't uh, just sit around forever and consume from the apostles. He himself became an apostle, that he went and shared the faith. And so it's not only about the Damascus moment, that encounter moment, but it's about the beyond Damascus moment. What I do with that encounter. And for Paul and for the saints and for the Christian, that when we encounter the living God, we're called to go out and give the living God to others. Mm -hmm. I was thinking about, mm -hmm. um, so Brad and I are pretty big Bengals fans. Yeah, I don't, are you true. a Bengals fan, Aaron? No. Yeah, it was. <laughs> no, no, no. no. Was, I'll let you sit in misery by yourselves. Yeah, and the Bengals lost <laughs> tragically in the last seconds to the Kansas City Chiefs. And uh, Mahomes was playing injured, right? Yeah. And I think sometimes we think to ourselves, man, I can't. I can't play injured because uh, uh, that's, that's just not allowed. So if I'm not perfectly ready to evangelize in every way, shape, or form, if I don't have my every venial sin weeded out of my life, if I don't have every intellectual knowledge I need to have to share the faith with others, I'm just going to sit on the bench and I'm mm -hmm. going to consume and, and get ready until I'm ready to actually share the faith with others. But you don't actually see that in life, right? Mm -hmm. No one is ever 100% like ready. And you see Mahomes in this game, he's playing injured and mm -hmm. Brad, I'm sure you were watching the game on the edge of 
your seat. He plays injured, and yet he still plays a sweet game. Yeah, well, he's the one who ran for the first down on an injured ankle, gets hit out of bounds, which creates a penalty that puts them in field goal range, and then they win, right? I I would say that I think he, didn't he credit God with like a miraculous healing? Did he? I think he he said only from God could like, I have the kind of strength I I had in my ankle. So that's pretty cool. But I think the, this idea that, okay, we don't want to play injured, right? Like uh, if, if you're injured spiritually, if you've got major interior wounds, we want to, we want to work on those and deal with them. But a lot of us, like maybe we got to play hurt. Like we're not perfect. We're not ready to go, but God wants us to get in the game, not sit on the bench. And so when you guys think about this idea of when I say the new evangelization or do evangelization, what do you think of Aaron? I, I agree with you about kind of seeing the different phrases that have been suggested and actually asking like, is this actually something that I'm meaningfully integrating into my life? Uh, We've seen so many themes come and go over the course of the last 20 years in ministry. And uh, it it seems that once something gets popular, you know, that's kind of like the age old truism. Once a song gets popular, it's time to stop playing it. (laughs) And it seems like the new evangelization has sort of become that, uh, postcard title that, that every, uh, every brand is associated with. But the reality is we haven't seen a great transformation in the work that people are doing. I mean, there, uh, John Paul II in his, in his apostolic work, he inspired a tremendous outpouring. We were talking before the show started that, especially here in the United States of America, we see just an amazing response in terms of ministry to the work that John Paul II really instigated in us. But I wonder, you know, once the uh, once the event is done, like has it actually transformed our life and transformed our our models to the point where we're living it well? Yeah, yeah. I- <laughs> that, that we would become a new like a new evangelization people. That this would become the theme of our life as opposed to the theme of an event. Yeah, mm-hmm. it, it's. I, I saw a postcard the other day. You're talking about like, does it just become a postcard? Literally, it had this like young adult with like rugged clothes on and a backpack on his back. With he's looking over the mountains and. It said, go out into all the world and proclaim the gospel. And I was like, this is so ridiculous. Like, there's not another human being in this picture. Like, <laughs> so like, it's like, I'm just looking at the mountains and it's go like- Go into nature. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, what? Like, no, go into the city. Like, why? Like, mm-hmm. let's see like downtown Columbus where the people actually are. And yeah. I think sometimes we just want to be so artistic and it's like, oh, mm-hmm. it, it almost becomes so flower, like so yeah. flowery that we don't actually do the work. It's yeah. like, oh Yeah. I want to put on the backpack with my Columbia jacket and like mm-hmm. be all rugged and proclaim the gospel to yeah, the mountains, sure. you know? Well, yeah, concepts are always lofty. Yeah. And, and evangelization always has to be concrete. And I do think what you mentioned earlier, Dan, that kind of t- ties into what Aaron w- was uh, saying with kind of the fads coming and going is that I do think we have a natural tendency to try to understand before we act. Mm. And I, it's funny because actually I remember my first years here at Damascus, I, I, I thought I knew more about ministry then than I do now. <laughs> and you know what I've actually done since then is actual ministry that's led me to know what I know and not know what I don't know. Mm-hmm. And there's something about when we actually get into what we're, um, I don't know, hypothesizing about where we actually learn the reality yeah, good. of it, yeah, you know? Good. And so the reason I think that a lot of times these uh trends come and go is because we don't actually get into the concrete action of them, which then we don't see the fruit that we were promised, which makes us think we weren't conceptualizing it well enough, which has us think it through again. And then we just fall into this kind of like, I don't know, feedback loop where we're always reconceptualizing instead of actually actualizing, you know? 
Well, you know, I was talking to a board member for a <clears throat> seminary this morning, and uh, <laughs> we were just talking about like the seminarian model, and just the question that we were engaging in is like, does it make sense to put someone in a school for eight years to th- to think theory, but not mm-hmm. have enough practicum? Right? That there's mm-hmm. there's all this theory about evangelization yeah. happening, and Good. they're reading everything, they're reading, they're reading, and they're consuming, 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 but without the practicum. And there's so often in, in seminarians' lives, there's this let's let's digest, let's digest, let's digest, and then they get out. And it's like sending the sheep among wolves because they mm-hmm. didn't. They you have to experience theory and practicum at the same time. Yeah. It, mm-hmm. it, it can't be disjointed. And so is is in fact our modern form of theological preparation mm-hmm. for our seminaries, mm-hmm. for theological studies at universities, for theology at a Catholic high school. Are we completely missing the mark by doing theory mm-hmm. in a textbook or theory with an encyclical without? Mm actually applying the yeah. encyclical in our everyday lives. I think there's a there's a tendency to to really desire to be affirmed, right? So mm-hmm. I, I know when, I, I mean, this the, the the term, the new evangelization was coined in 1983. So I was negative two years old when this was spoken. <laughs> yeah, but I remember- That was a good moment in your life though. <laughs> You're like, wow, that was a good job, John Paul II. I, I remember hearing about the new evangelization and being like lit on fire because mm-hmm. as a young youth minister, and as someone who was dissatisfied with the state that things were in, right? I I wanted to, I, I wanted to connect with a word that would give me um, that would affirm that perspective, right? Yeah. That would affirm the reality that that we need something more. And uh, we just got we got to be careful to be to be honest with ourselves as to whether these these teachings, which I would I would argue, actually have a, a prophetic nature, right? Whether mm-hmm. we're actually allowing them to enact a change in our lives or whether we're just seeing them as words that we can use to try to build up our own perspective. Yeah, yeah. Um, it, an interesting note that you, you have on seminarians. So I was just at Mount 2000 this weekend, uh, which is an event, huge event. Uh, There's a, a thousand kids at a, it's a youth rally at Mount St. Mary's Seminary, mm-hmm. Mount St. Mary's University in uh, Emmitsburg, uh, Maryland. Maryland. And thank you. The uh, one of the cool things about the event is that it's actually completely organized and operated by the seminarians. Mm-hmm. So, it, you know, it's great. We here at Damascus, we've got young adult missionaries who are who are actively engaged in programming and to see the seminarians actually being charged with, okay, not only are we going to talk about it, but you're going to be the active, engaged uh, administrators, speakers, organizers, leaders, small group directors, food mm-hmm. managers of this major event uh, and to see how they were coming alive and the, the weaknesses and the struggles that they were facing. Mm-hmm. Like this is, this is where you live it. Yeah. yeah. Well, and, and it's, it is interesting because it's, yeah, the administration. So they have to think through how do we register people mm-hmm. for an event? How do we market an event? How yeah. do we handle the food requirements for an event? How do we worry about parking? And not that that is like the, all of those elements are elements that are necessary for effective evangelization, <laughs> right? In order yeah. to get people there. And yeah. it, it can't just be this lofty idea. Like mm-hmm. if I do the seminar, they will automatically come because I'm doing the seminar and that there's, there's real effort boots on the yeah. ground to get a thousand young people present. Yeah. Uh, yeah here's an interesting um, tie into that. And Dan is that, uh, my, my buddies and I back in college, we watched uh, Band of Brothers. And Band of Brothers is this uh, show that it just documents uh, a World War II um, 
company. So just a, a group of soldiers. And um, what's always stood out to me about it is there's, there's a, uh, well, I, I guess one of the aspects that I go back to regularly is probably how I should say it, is they have this new recruit from West Point that comes in. Okay, sharp as a tack, knows every <laughs> tactical strategy you could possibly know coming from West Point into this company. This company's been together for years at this point, right? And he's coming into this situation that's it's pretty high stakes. And they're going into this battle literally the next day and they're conceptualizing how they should go about it. And he's telling them all the tactical things he learned in school. And they're all just like, dude, you've never been out here. <laughs> yeah. It's just so evident to us. You've never been out here. And, and it was more like pejorative in the show than we want to make it yeah. an evangelization. But I think there is something to say there. It's like, no, you, you, can, you can tell when someone's had skin in the game. Yeah. You know, you can tell when someone's been on the battle lines. You can tell when someone's gone in and come back like, oh, I tried that strategy that seemed like the right, like textual way of doing it. But actually- I've learned that you have to bring this along if you in if you actually do that in the in the real world. So anyway, I, I don't well, know if that you do plays see, into what you're you saying, but I thought about that immediately over and over again with people when they like the the young ardent uh, graduate that comes with a catechetics degree or the seminary that's fresh out of seminary speaking and from experience. Yeah, speaking <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. and and it is it's that like. Uh, all the theory, you're like, okay, when I put it into place, it's all going to work out perfect. And mm -hmm. it, and it doesn't. Right. Yeah. And it, because the, the theory is critical mm -hmm. and it's important, but it's, it's a framework that mm -hmm. doesn't, um, there's nothing, a theory is not going to overcome the hard work that has to be yeah. put in place. Yeah. Well, it, it's because the practical matters, Aaron, I wonder you, you were mentioning earlier when we were talking before the show started about, uh, the Chosen. And I, I, uh, I think that show's amazing. But I wonder if like, and Dan, you mentioned sending, <laughs> sending uh, seminarians out as sheep amongst wolves. Yeah, I think we're always sent out like that. But could you imagine like in the Gospels, if the Great Commission was not preceded by the sending of the 72 and the sending of the 12? Like it would, it would yeah. have been effective. It's like, mm. okay, now you've watched me and yep. you've learned everything about me and I've never sent you out before. And now go evangelize the whole world. Yeah. And it's like, how do we do that? You know, yeah. but the sending of the 12 and the sending of the 72, I think they depict it well in the chosen. Mm -hmm. I wonder, I don't know, maybe that's just a thought experiment. What do you think about that? Yeah. Like, I think there's, there's strategy. In the One of the themes that we like to hit on that I like to hit on here at Damascus is that like, we are, we are not chosen for the work of evangelization because Jesus doesn't have a better option. It was mm -hmm. actually while he was still, like it was mm -hmm. while he was still living that he opted to share his mm -hmm. authority yeah. with, with the people who he trusted, that there's something about this work that's meant to be shared. So uh, you have the capacity, right? You have the capacity to, to enter into the work of evangelization. And if we're to believe the words of Jesus to actually do the works that he did and do greater works than these, mm -hmm. to see the type of impact that he had, mm -hmm. you know, we kind of look to those uh, Sermon on the Mount experiences as something that couldn't mm -hmm. be replicated in any other way. But like, this is supposed to be the mark mm -hmm. of how a Christian communicates the gospel, that others would be so enamored by, the spirit that we carry through our word and deed that, that they'd come into an encounter with the living God. Mm -hmm. Yeah. That the good news would be good news again. Yeah. You know, that it's like, good, this is transcending circumstance. This is God is present. Like that's a, that's a, that's a good, that's a good news story, yeah. you know? So I, new, evangelization, new evangelization isn't, uh, you know, Hey, plan A didn't work. Here's plan B. This mm -hmm. is, this is an evolving message of the Lord trusts you. The Lord, the Lord offers you his authority and this is the way that we can step most fully into that in a new generation. Yeah, I think I think the easiest thing we want to talk about today is 
<clears throat> we want to be people who talk the talk and we walk the walk. I mean, yeah. it, it's, it's the age long yeah. adage, right? Sure. Like, so we can't just talk about the new evangelization and not do evangelization. We actually have to talk the talk. We need to know the, the, the signs of the times. We need to understand what the world we're living in. We have to have new methodology for evangelization. And then we actually need to go and do it. The, um, why don't we why don't we do this? Why don't we give a context of what is the new evangelization? Where are we seeing it active and alive in the church today? Yeah. And then what are some warning signs that we could look to to make sure we're not just talking about the new evangelization, but we're actually doing evangelization? Mm-hmm. Uh, so that'd be a fun place to go. Um, well, w- when we're defining, let's let's just yeah. make sure we speak the words of John Paul II. So, mm-hmm. 1983, John Paul II, he's speaking to uh, an address to the Latin American bishops, and he says, "Look to the future." with commitment to a new evangelization, one that is new in its ardor, new in its methods, and new in its expression. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so John Paul II really coined this phrase, and that was kind of the the, the first time we see him coin the phrase, and mm-hmm. then he continues to echo it throughout mm-hmm. his, his entire mm-hmm. pontificate. And it, you know, I, I remember when I first started as a youth minister, um, I was... I was giving, I was doing a parent meeting uh, and uh, I, I was sharing about this, the new evangelization and how we're going to bring new methods mm-hmm. to our parish youth ministry program. And I was sharing some of the new methodology and that we wanted to bring this new ardor and we wanted to express the faith in a new way. And one of the parents, and I don't think he was, his, his heart was pure. Mm-hmm. He raised his hand. He's like, well, what was wrong with the old evangelization? Mm-hmm. <laughs> and mm-hmm. it was like, for me, it kind of set me back of like, oh, wait, I'm like using a phrase here that mm-hmm. I have a contextual understanding of mm-hmm. that he didn't have a contextual understanding of. And I think that John Paul II wasn't saying there was an old evangelization that we had to do away with or yeah. an old gospel and we have to go with the the new age spirituality and accept the a progressive movement. It was it was all of the orthodoxy, all of the tradition, all of the beauty of the old but expressed in in, in a new way to mm-hmm. to share the gospel with a fresh lens, a fresh ardor as he says, mm-hmm. a, a fresh expression. Maybe um a fresh um, methodology. How do we share the gospel in mm-hmm. this new age, if you will, as opposed to how do we share a new age gospel? Yeah. And and I think that's really the heart of this new evangelization. The gospel is so good. Mm-hmm. And have we actually forgotten to communicate yeah. the good news? And the even even the, the 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 most important aspect of the new evangelization is that all evangelization is Christocentric. Mm-hmm. And for so long, we had actually forgotten that all the sharing of the faith should point back to Jesus, where mm-hmm. things had become very doctrinal centric mm-hmm. or um, doing centric, mm-hmm. or uh, even devotion centric. Self-excellence centric. Like, yeah. hey, this is the best way for you to be the best human you can be. Yeah. And again, there's truth to that, but, yeah, but if it, Jesus isn't what we're aspiring to, then we're wrong. Because Jesus is the good news. He is. Yeah. yeah. Right. So what, when you think about the new evangelization, Brad, what comes to your mind? Well, I think first, uh, what you were saying comes to mind, right? That John Paul II isn't saying we need to lose the ever ancient. He's just emphasizing the ever new. Because our faith is ever ancient and mm. ever new, right? Well, the last three popes have emphasized the new Pentecost. Yep. Does that say that the old Pentecost was insufficient? Well, of course not, right? Because what it's <laughs> saying is, actually yeah. what happened at Pentecost that was so needed then is still needed now. And so we need a, a new outpouring that allows us to do what the first Pentecost did in the time that we live in now. Yeah. Same thing with evangelization. So what we have to understand in the new evangelization is it still entails the proclamation of the good news yep. with greater, what, ardor, methods, and fervor, Expression. right? Expression, yep. yeah. And so um, 
I think that's really important because I think what can happen is we can step back and say, okay, now we have to rewrite the script, reinvent the wheel. And it's like, no, no, no. Actually, how did Jesus speak the good news? He spoke the good news that the kingdom of God was at hand. He accompanied that with signs, right? To show that that was in fact true. And then he stood on that by saying, and it's changed you, go, your sins are forgiven, yeah. right? So he said that the kingdom of God is at hand. He, he proclaimed the news that was good. He showed that the good news was actually real. And then he implied that you could leave from that good news changed, right? Like that's what he did. And so if that's our model for evangelization, now what we have to say is in the, in the new time that we live in with social media, with all of the, the things that we talk about yeah. all the time on this podcast, how do we do that in the midst of that, yeah. right? And I think that's what comes to mind. Well, and in, in the church's historical context, right, you had um, what we would call mission agentes, which means mission to the nations. And the early missionary endeavor was a missionary endeavor that took Christendom, these, these, these nations or these uh, countries where the faith had become integrated into the very fabric of the human culture. And from there came a church that sent missionaries to the nations to claim m- nations for Jesus Christ. Mm-hmm. Even the first great commission, I mean, well, not the first great, uh, the, no, the sure, great commission, sure, right? Sure. Where Jesus, he says like, go and baptize all nations, right? That he sends, he sends us two nations to mm-hmm. evangelize and to win. And in the early church, you see this happen, right? Like, Paul doesn't just go and minister to mm-hmm. people in, in, in Corinth. He wants to win Corinth. And, mm-hmm. and these whole nation states were one for Jesus Christ. And you see this happen with Rome and with all throughout Europe. And, mm-hmm. and, and then all of a sudden we get Christendom that, that, you know, nations became, if you will, Christianized. But then that faith over the centuries uh, has, has declined or has been lost. And, the new evangelization is sometimes going to these nations that had already once been evangelized in the mission agentas, and now we have to actually re-evangelize the entire population. <laughs> and I think sometimes we can make the mistake to think, well, the new evangelization is simply an evangelization inside the church, where we have to re-evangelize everyone in the church. But that's not actually what John Paul II or the church means by the new evangelization. The, the, the new evangelization is to reclaim a country that has lost Christianity for Christ again. How do we reclaim Europe? How do we reclaim America? We, we are a post-Christian generation now. So how do, what is our methodology not to simply rouse up the people in the pews, but what is our methodology to reclaim America? And the only way to reclaim America is to get the people in the pews to become missionary again, right? It's not to make them better consumers of our product. It's to make them missionary again. Yeah, that's, that's awesome. You know, I, I, in, in reflecting on this conversation, it's like the, the message of the gospel is unchanging. Mm-hmm. But the reason that a new evangelization is critical is because the playing field has shifted, right? And hmm. and you've got a you've got a whole population who it's it's sort of like the story of the the frog in the pot of boiling water, right? That they've the the culture has shifted in such a dramatic way that every single one of us has been affected. But because we don't know the damage of that impact, uh, it, it's it's time to represent the message in a way that represents the gospel. Yeah. So. Uh, one of the one of the most succinct ways that I I've heard new evangelization expressed, and it's one that's really captured my heart, is that we need to we need to bring uh, Christ 
into the hearts of those who have already been catechized, right? Mm-hmm. Or into the hearts of those who have already been exposed to the message, not necessarily catechized. No, right. but, but from the head to the heart. Every, everybody knows in the United States of America what the, the message of Jesus is, yeah. right? There's very few people who've never heard of Jesus. Mm-hmm. But because of that, you know, whether you're on an internet forum or whether you're on a street corner, yeah. it, your, your message is no longer new. So we've got to present it in a way that has that has a new impact. Why? Mm-hmm. Because the the message of the gospel never lost its power. Right. We, we're just we're we're going back to old words mm-hmm. that that have uh, they've been heard before. Yep. And I think it can be said like this: we, we haven't lost the news, but we've lost the goodness. Mm. Like like the the world knows the news. It, it knows it knows the general idea that the Son of God died, rose from the dead, at least hypothetically. You know, speaking from the world's perspective, right? Like they know that news, but it, it's our responsibility to bring the goodness back into it. Like when you look at the Western world today, look at Europe, look at America, look at Latin America, look, look at all of those, like whether they be third world or first world countries yeah. in those respective continents, like indifference is the biggest issue. The biggest issue is the good news isn't good news anymore. Mm-hmm. It's just okay news that I've heard before. You know, it's just like I show up, I kind of know what to expect at the mass. It's what good people do. It's what my family's done for generations. I'm going to show up and my kids are going to be better for kind of, you know, half-heartedly attending. And I'm not really confident in how I can help them in their pursuit. So we're just going to keep doing it. And eventually what that breeds is it breeds indifference. And it, it on, honestly, it, it breeds an apathy. And the new evangelization is supposed to combat that. It's supposed yep. to say, no to indifference. Yep. How about differentness? Yeah. You know, how about like you're gonna leave different if you engage fully? Like that's good. That's because we all look at our lives and are like, well, that could probably be different. Yeah. That could be different. You know, so getting away from indifference that comes from oh, I've heard that before. It's like, yeah, but you're just scratching the surface. Like the depth to it's amazing. When a gospel proclaimed without power, it, it lacks the goodness, right? So if I proclaim a gospel, but then there is no transformation, right? right? That Jesus Christ came to to transform your life, but then you see no one's lives being transformed by the gospel, mm. then you're like, mm. well, that isn't good news. And that's why our culture, they've heard the gospel, but they haven't seen its power. So they're turning to like crystals and oils mm. for mm. power. Like mm. what is going on? Like we have, mm. we have divinity himself saying yeah. that he's hungering to pour out his spirit on upon all flesh and transform our lives to heal the sick and raise the dead. And we're like, maybe this rock will give me energy. Yeah. Maybe this oil will give me peace. And yeah. it's because we literally have intellectualized the gospel mm. to the place mm-hmm. where we just talk about it devoid of power. Yeah. So w- the well, people don't believe it's even true. Well, even still, man, that I want to keep talking about that, but even, even still, man. So yeah, yeah, yes. Crystals and other things, but also titles, political influence, all these places that we're seeking power, right? Yeah. It's like, if I'm not getting power from the one thing that was actually destined to be the most powerful thing yeah. in my life, you better believe I'm going to find it elsewhere because we were made for power. Yeah. We were actually made for transformation. We weren't made to stay stagnant. So of course I'm going to try to find it in other places, right? Yeah. But isn't it, I, I just, it blows my, it boggles my mind that, that we're like, if I rub this oil on my face, I'm going to experience peace when peace comes from the kingdom of God. Well, right? The best and, part is the, uh, the peace that Jesus offers, it's actually easier to find than yeah, peace to yeah. no, sure. <laughs> like, if, if you really want the peace and the power, like take the shortcut, which is Jesus. Yeah, yeah. right, right. No, it's better. Well, because again, like go to, yeah, that, that blows my mind, but it also blows my mind that I think that tomorrow, if $10 million showed up in my bank account, that I'd somehow be more powerful and peaceful than I am right now. Yeah, that's true. Like the, that, those ideas are, yeah. they, they're antithetical to what we know to be true. Yeah. So we're pursuing nothing. We're pursuing a fable, you yeah. know? And like bringing back the idea that that's fable 
and that this is truth. This gospel is truth. Yeah. We've reversed it to where the gospel is fable and this thing's true. Yeah. No, not true. Like the fable is that you're going to fill an infinite longing with a finite thing. When it's so funny because Jesus, the way he preaches is he always says the kingdom of God is at hand, repent and believe in the gospel. So in order to experience the kingdom, the two, th- the two conditions to experience the kingdom that Jesus himself gives us is repentance of our sins and belief in the gospel. Mm-hmm. And if we don't repent and we don't believe in the gospel, we, we, we will not experience the manifestation of the kingdom in our lives. And so the, um, the, the interesting thing, I wonder if we present the gospel, but we actually don't even believe in the gospel anymore, right? And so we're trying to do this work of the new evangelization where we're actually trying to win our argument as opposed to actually preaching the gospel and allowing the kingdom of God to come, right? That if only our argument can be more convincing, more uh, well-articulated, more artistically expressed than the world's argument, then people will convert. And that, that will never lead to the conversion of a nation. The only yeah. thing that will lead to the conversion of a nation is the power of God followed by the truth of God, right? That the That's truth of God and the power of God have to both be presented. But the truth of God with like pretty graphic design is not enough to win a nation. Uh, this is true. Why, why, are we, why are we tempted toward things that we can control? You know, toward the toward the new age um, pursuit of, of, of peace and power like you're talking about. Yeah. I think it, it's because of uh, it's because of a refusal to surrender, right? It's because of a refusal mm-hmm. to repent. Um, it's because of a deep, you know, uh, pride that exists in us. And I think for the same reason, we, we, can, we can live Christianity in the same way, where in order for me to actually embrace the, the, the prophetic... Um, application of a word like John Paul II communicated to us, if we're still trying to operate from a place of control that the same way that I've always done it is going to, is going to do the trick or uh, you know, I'm still going to communicate the gospel. I'm going to do it in the way that I do it or that it's going to be a uh, individual centric message, right? Yep. That our refusal to our refusal to subject ourselves to the mission of Jesus, our refusal to enter into a place of true repentance and surrender uh, that's what's required every day. It's what was required in the beginning. And it, when we lose sight of that, that's, that's the type of reboot that we need to be invited back into. Mm, yeah, amen. well, if, if the prescription is repent and believe in the gospel, right? Yeah. Dan, you were mentioning that there's a struggle with belief, right? That can hold us back. There's a struggle with repentance that can hold us back. And I would add a third element to that in that prescription that we also forget what it means to proclaim the gospel. Like, what is the good news? The good news is that Jesus Christ is alive now and forever. Amen, right? Like, that's that's the good news. And like, it it would do us well. And I'm sure a lot of people listening, and I know that we've talked about this before, all three of us in different conversations, but like, what was an evangelist back in the day? Like, what was Paul saying when he was saying, like, we need to be evangelists? It was just someone who brought back a heartfelt message of truth that Caesar had won another victory. And they had bought into that, that the, oh, yeah. that, the, that the expansion of the Roman empire was the greatest good for the world. And so when Rome won another victory, they're like, hey, buddy, you need to go back and share with everyone because it built morale. It built people into belief. Like, yes, like this is powerful. Yes, this is good. Yes, this is happening. Yes, this is winning. And what Paul is saying is Christ keeps winning victories and the story of testimony matters. Mm-hmm. Go back and say he's alive. 
We were uh, ministering really in New that. York last week and uh, a, a guy who works with us here, his name's Matt. And uh, if Matt is listening, he, he, uh, he just inspires me in so many ways, but he was emceeing this retreat that I was speaking at. And I gave a message on who is Jesus, just an understanding. And we've all given that talk in, in different places, just a, a charismatic talk of here's who Jesus uh, is. And we have a decision to make. And uh, afterwards, he gave this amazing MC outro where he, he goes, you know, and he's talking to high school senior boys. He's like, I love testimony. He goes, because really all that testimony is, is saying something happened in my life that was amazing. And I'd love for it to happen in your life too. And he mm -hmm. goes, what won me over to Christianity, this is Matt speaking. He said, was the fact that every Christian who testified to me, I realized were the only people testifying to me. I never saw a famous person come up to me and say, I'm famous. You should be too. It's amazing. I never saw someone come up to me and say, I'm really smart and I know everything and you should know everything too. It's amazing. <laughs> I never saw anyone come up to me and say, you can just go down the list. He gave yeah. a, a new, like he gave numerous examples and it pierced me to the heart because I believe it to be true. That like what one of the things that won me into this way of life was that like these people really are moved to tell me how good it is. And I can write that off as them being weird or I can realize that, well, it's weird because it's different. But if it's different, what if it's claiming is true? You know, yeah. anyway, long story short, like I think belief's an issue. I think repentance is an issue, but we also have to understand what the gospel is. Jesus Christ is alive yeah. and it's changed my life. Yeah. Watch how I live my life. It's changed it. Like watch what he can do in this moment right now in you or in me. That well, changed I, it. And I think that's probably the fundamental reality of <clears throat> in order for the new evangelization to actually ever take root is I first need to experience the transformation in Christ. <laughs> like, because if, if I haven't been transformed in Jesus Christ, and if I have been transformed in Jesus Christ yeah. in a significant way, I can't help but evangelize. If I didn't see the victory. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Like imagine like the guy, the soldier that was sent back to the Roman empire, but yeah. I don't know if they won the battle yeah. and what am I supposed to tell them? But when they're in it, they come back and they're like, no, I saw it with my eyes. Yeah. So I think, I think some, maybe it's just a few, um, Warnings as well, right? So how do we how do we make sure that we're not just talking about the new evangelization, but that we're also doing the evangel doing evangelization? I, I think one interesting warning would be um, not to make the new evangelization your marketplace. Uh, I, and I, I'm seeing this as a, a growing trend where um, the the idea of the new evangelization, well, it's it's sharing the gospel in, in new methodology, right? And so I'm going to you know. Um, I, I don't like make saints uh, put a bunch of saint faces on underwear and then sell the underwear, you know, and like, because it's, it's sharing the, like, and, and, but it is silly stuff like this where we're taking, sometimes we simply take what we want to do and we see that, Oh, I have an audience that I can sell this product to. And we're simply using evangelization as a marketplace, as opposed to actually trying to transform people's lives and make them better missionaries uh, to win a nation. And, and I think the, I think a I lot of times- I just can't get the image of uh, Saint 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 Well, I had other images, but I didn't want to throw any, like anyone who's doing, I, that was the only example I could <coughs> yeah. think of that I right. haven't actually great. seen, yeah. right? And, 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 and for anyone listening- entrepreneurial mind. Yeah. And for anyone listening, it's a call on to us too, right? Like, yeah, I, like we can't make this marketplace, right? Yeah, no, yeah. absolutely. It's, it's everyone. Yeah. Because it, it, it I think sometimes what we say is, okay, well, I want to, um, I really want to do this thing. And I mean, it started with Christian music, honestly. So like when Christian uh, rock first came out, a lot of Christian rock 
groups were not men and women who were sold out for the gospel. They were people who couldn't make it in the rock industry. And then there became this Christian rock industry where they realized I have a captive market and I can do full-time music like I want to within this market, right? And so they made Christian music their marketplace as opposed to their vocation. And the and so they simply wanted to be a rock star, and then, but they sold out it to make the church a marketplace, which is exactly what Jesus condemns in the gospel. And I think we have to be careful, like, okay, well, uh, I, I want to share the gospel, but instead of actually sharing the gospel and transforming people's mm. lives, I also want to make a living. So I'm going to give this, this guise that I'm sharing the gospel in the context of my own profitability. So I have my comfort kingdom here on earth, right? No, the people who shared the gospel with their lives were the North American martyrs who came here and lived on nothing and died sharing the gospel. Like, And so how do we make sure that we, clearly not everyone's called to be a foreign missionary, but how do we make sure we don't simply make the church a marketplace? What do you guys think? Yeah, I'm, I think that's a, that's a true word, Dan. And it, it needs to be applied to all. Uh, so I think the, the way that you spoke, it might be easy to uh, point fingers yep. and to suggest that, okay, well, I'm not that guy. But m- my heart kind of goes to the, toward the place that we, we all are that, that guy. Yeah. And, uh, you know, I, I, I know a lot of great musicians who, who, or have heard stories of a lot of great musicians who stepped into that like mm-hmm. rock genre and not all of them were uh, purely intentioned, but not all of them were in it for hedonism either. Right. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And the, the word purity really strikes me that whether mm-hmm. it's music, whether it's art, whether it's apparel, writing, you books, know, whether it's talks. speaking, writing, whatever, mm-hmm. whether it's Damascus, that, if we're not operating from a place of purity of heart, then our offering is like the offering of Cain. Mm. You know, that uh, it, it may look great. Um, I, I, like to, I like to give that example that, you know, Cain, yeah. Cain and Abel that uh, Abel offered his, his beautiful spotless lamb and Cain offered a sweet harvest, right? <laughs> Last time I checked, like plowing a field by hand and raising a beautiful harvest is hard work. It's not like Cain's offering was just a pittance. It's just that his heart was coming from a place of lack of, a lack of purity in, in the gift. So it's not what we offer. It's, it's the orientation of our heart that determines. Uh, and it's, it's, not, it's not even so much like whether it's acceptable. You know, mm-hmm. God doesn't distinguish too much. Uh, God just wants all of you. Yeah, it's the imperfect love idea, right? That, that a lot of times <clears throat> we're pursuing God for actually things that are motivated by us. When in reality, he's trying to get us more and more to see that he's the fulfillment of all our desires. You know, I, I was I was drawn back, uh, Dan. You were mentioning that in the Gospels, that's exactly what Jesus says, and it is right. John two in the in the market uh, outside the temple where Jesus yep. flips the tables and he says, "Stop making my father's house a marketplace." And a lot of people were offended because they were selling offerings. Like you know, yeah, so people were like, things. "What are they? What? We, why is he flipping the table and stuff?" And what's funny to me is there must have been something about that moment with Jesus, that there was such a righteousness about him because the apostles, although other people are like seeing it as chaos, the apostles look and they say, well, they don't say, they remember the scripture, it says, right? That zeal for your house will consume me, right? That that Jesus was just of the perspective that this house is for him. 
Yeah. And everything we're doing here has to be driven with a heart for him, yep. not with a heart for our own gain. But but this is the this is the great um I, I don't know, this is the great like uh, oxymoron of the whole thing is that when I make it all about him, he gives me everything I've ever wanted and more. Right? And we don't we're not in it for that, but it's like like yeah, to to Aaron's point, when I bring in a heart that is actually to love him, you know? Like and I, I've experienced that in my own life with, with speaking. There was a time where I was like, man, I have a lot of things I think are good to say. I'm going to get out there and say them. And then I did it in a lot of pockets. And then I had my conversion. I'm like, oh, it'd be cool to say it in this pocket. And then over time, now it's like, Lord, if I can give any greater context to what you're already speaking, I'd like to. Mm-hmm. But I don't have to, you know? Like I get to not have to. Like when we feel that impetus that I have to do it to prove something instead of I want to do it to give it back to you we get into that impurity. You know? yeah. And you see the example. I mean, uh, it, I don't know. It is, it is a tension because, because God desires for our, for our work to bear fruit. Yep. And at the same time, you see beautiful examples throughout history of where uh, individuals are called to minister in relative obscurity, right? Because it's, because it's, because it's oriented toward the heart of Jesus, right? That we, we've got to make that, I don't know. We've got to make that offering to him. Yeah, the yeah. cost of the missionary life uh, yeah. was one of the ob- obscurity, uh, one of the calls to obscurity, the, the, um, the evangelical who was called to India yep. when we were talking about that a previous yep. episode. Like, yep, yep. Yeah, he was Andre called to this Chapter. obscurity, but he was so faithful, right? Yep. And there's, yeah. Anyway, there is attention to it. Yeah, so, and whatever that means, because I think it is, so not allowing evangelization to become a marketplace, I think is, it, mm-hmm. it, it, for, for someone in full-time ministry, I think it's really important for us to, to evaluate and pray and to think through, am I, am I doing this to build my career or my life as opposed to, am I doing this for him? And then, but even I think people who are volunteering in ministry have to ask themselves, okay, like what is, what is my motive here? And how am I, how am I laying my life down for the kingdom? Um, then secondly, mm-hmm. I think the new evangelization has to go beyond modern technology. And I think it's a risk we run where we, we utilize modern technology and we think, okay, well, mm-hmm. new, the new evangelist, we want to present the, like as John Paul II, new in its ardor, new in its methods, mm-hmm. new in its expressions. Well, mm-hmm. ardor doesn't mean more just, it doesn't merely mean more passion and zeal, mm-hmm. right? There's mm-hmm. something about the heart that is totally given over. Like Mother Teresa proclaimed the gospel with ardor, but not with great, like mm-hmm. zealous enthusiasm, right? Like there was, a, but there was an ardor that was different. Um, and then expressions and, and methods, it can't, like, I think a big trend has been that, okay, well, to have a new expression of the gospel, that means we need to use modern technology. And it's that, of course, we want to use modern technology, right? Mm-hmm. And of course, we want to have podcast and, um, and radio and graphic designs on social media and all of that. But it can't merely be that. And I think sometimes we run the risk of if we, if that's our, if that's our only channel, we may actually be doing new evangelization or think we are without actually doing evangelization. Like, mm-hmm. are we mm-hmm. actually reaching the lost or are we just posting on social media? Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. What do you think about that? Yeah, I, I, I see there being a lot of truth in what you're saying. One thing I see that it's hard and maybe we can wrestle with this because I don't know if I have a strong uh, sway on which one's right. I see there being two possibilities here. One is that like, we need to go full into the new technologies, right? Because that's where other people are and we need to be there. We need to get, if there's other ideas there, we need to get 
better ideas there. We need to get the truth there. I see others like actually saying that like modern technology, we need to stand athwart modern technology and not enter into it because of all the stuff happening. In yeah. it. There has to be this happy medium. I think it's probably a test of conscience and also having people in your life that hold you accountable. It's like, hey, I'm wanting to do ministry through this new mode, but I want you to hold me accountable mm -hmm. to it being about ministry and not about me. Right. Mm -hmm. Like, I don't know how many times I've turned to both of you as brothers and been like, I have this book idea on my mind, but here's where I'm at with the Lord in this season. And just push back if you think I should go out with this right now. Right. Yeah. Because that accountability matters because we want to mm -hmm. get in there, I, I think, um, and not just annex ourselves from it, but we also don't want to get so far into it that it becomes about that thing. It becomes about the podcast instead of about Jesus. Yeah. yeah. I don't know if that, that helps, but that's the tension that I experience in my heart is like, man, well, there's a... What I took from that, Brad, is that you're going to start going to personal coaching to become the next TikTok influencer, right? <laughs> if I knew how to work TikTok, then I'd probably be the next... I, if, you, no. if you were doing daily dances on TikTok, I would, I would watch. I'd win some nations. I don't know if you'd win nations, but I would watch. <laughs> yeah, okay. I'd win dance. At least for a dance, week. Attention for a week. Let me, let me say it another way. So... Uh, it, it is possible that maybe some of these exploits into social media or whatever are truly just demonic. I don't think that's the case. And if that's not the case, the the goal of evangelization is that all would unite themselves to Christ. Yep. So like we should expect that, yeah, whether it's, whether it's the next TikTok artist or whether it's the next, um, I don't know, uh, computer programming developer, whatever the case that like Christ should be influencing those areas because there's nothing off limits in the gospel. It's yeah. not like the kingdom of God will be divided. And Absolutely. The, you know, half of the kingdom will be left behind. Yeah. So yeah. transformation of culture so, includes all aspects and of culture. Unless TikTok is by nature demonic, there will be TikTok mm -hmm. in heaven, right? There will be some expression of- That's going to cause some comments. Some, yeah, comments probably, on whether or not there will be TikTok in no, heaven. Well, no, but, like, <laughs> but the influence you, you of TikTok is yeah. felt in the kingdom yeah, of God. So if, yeah. if it's truly an expression of human art and, you know, and uh, uh, you know me. Right? <laughs> I hear what you're saying, not what you're um, not. Yeah. I, I'm, not, I'm not advocating for this. But what I'm saying is, yeah, if, if we've- if we've developed a perspective on on the resurrection of the body, right, and on the yeah. resurrection of the kingdom, you know, the New Jerusalem, that that suggests that yeah, everything's tossed out, yeah. and because this stuff is devoid of God's presence, yep, then I think we've missed the boat. Well, and I think um, so, and I think the important key is it has to go beyond modern, uh, be like beyond just modern technology. Of so, course, because yeah, like Agreed. Mel Gibson's The Passion, right? Yeah. Like that was an incredible use of technology to mm -hmm. transform people's hearts. The The Chosen, a an incredible use, uh, but the even all evangelization is person to person, and so yeah. it, if it is simply or merely the use of media without the community of Christ walking mm -hmm. with the person mm -hmm. afterwards, we run the risk. And so I think the, which may go into the third, the, the third point is just to, to make sure that we are, we are doing evangelization and not simply talking about the new evangelization. Mm -hmm. I, I think we just want to make sure we always have stories. And, and I think that that's a key litmus test if, if whether or not mm -hmm. I'm actually doing evangelization it is my whole. And, and truly, I mean, for all of us, most of our social circle is the mm -hmm. church, right? Especially we live in such a, a deep Christian community and we work within the context of the church. A lot of our social circle is the church and we have strong Christian community. And so to make sure we're not simply living in Christian community without any 
effort to go out of Christian community to bring people into the fold, we need to make sure that we have stories yep. like that, that we have stories of what happened. Like how did, how did the Lord move and how did you, how did the Lord move through you at Mount 2000? How did the Lord move through you? Mm-hmm. Um, that when I, I forget what you were just talking about yeah, oh, I, in I New York yeah. this past week, how did the Lord moved through me in Florida, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. That when we're out and about and, and not just in our missionary endeavors, but even in our daily lives, what are the stories? Like, yeah. what are the conversations we're having with people that lead to an evangelization moment? Mm-hmm. And those stories I think are yeah. the way it, it's the way we make sure that we're evangelists as opposed to people who talk about evangelization. Yeah. I like that tie together. I think those two points are, are fun to tie together because if we're going to go beyond modern technology, I actually think the only way to measure that is what is what is happening on the other side of someone listening to this podcast? Yeah. If it's just driving people back to listen to our next podcast, it, it's, it's not actually fulfilling what we should be hoping it fulfills, right? Like I hope the person listening today is changed Yeah. because then they could live life differently. If that differentness that they taste then leads them back here, great. I don't want it to just be because the ideas are cool and I want to just keep listening. Like we should desire that whatever we're using, technology or standard means of communication, us talking to each other, us going and ministering in Florida, New York, uh, Maryland, wherever, we should hope that you can judge a tree by its fruit. That, that like, no, yeah. there's, a, there's, there's difference yep. happening in front of me. Like people's lives are changing. And, and that, we, I'd encourage that too. If you're listening to the podcast today and you listen to it regularly, please like send us, right? Send us all of us, it's just our name at damascus.net. Like send us stories about what happens here, right? Yeah. Because like, I want to be able to, to, to testify to that and say well, like, this is happening. But, and yeah. use that as a litmus test as to whether or not you're a consumer Christian or a missionary Christian, right? That there's a difference between a missionary disciple and a consumer Christian. Good, and yeah. the consumer Christian goes from, you know, one edifying talk to another edifying talk to another edifying retreat just to, to feed yourself. Whereas Jesus Christ has called us to look like him and to be a missionary disciple. And Feed so, my sheep. Yeah. And so we have to, so if it is, I listen to podcasts about mission, but I'm not doing mission, then am I, am mm. I missing the mark? And, and, and so, and that, that isn't to be said in any way of, with condemnation. No. It's, it's actually, it's an examination of conscience and this isn't a health, healthy way to examine like that am I simply going from thing to thing to thing? And my life is so structured with the things in Christianity that I'm not doing the work that Christ himself is calling me to. That's good, Dan. Um, I'm trying to, trying to think, okay, so what is the audience who's listening today um, as, as each of you are tuning in and joining with us in this conversation? Like, where where are the where are the struggles that most people are facing in this? Because you know we 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 live in an insular place here at Damascus in some in some capacities. We we can we can apply this message. But Brad, you know you've seen on university campuses or what? Where do we see this in the context of a normal parish? Like, how can I make sure um, that whether it's new evangelization or whether it's the theology of the body or whether it's the Eucharistic revival, right? That the next the next prophetic word that the church is preaching doesn't just pass me by. Yeah, well, I, I think um, was it was it this past Sunday one one of the uh, one of the sets of readings from this past week had like let the people see the good works you do so they can give glory to God, 
I don't want to say just do just to do. But the way I want to answer your question is like, I, I think what holds us back in the Western world is our lives are so filled with so many things. We don't know where our margins are for something. And I think once you taste the goodness of stepping out in faith for evangelization, it draws you deeper into it. So I, I don't know if the people listening today go to work every day and they've been speaking for months that they're going to play the long game with this person and they're just going to ask about their day every day, but maybe taking a new risk there. Like, yeah, I was actually at mass this past Sunday. You could even tell a story. Like mm-hmm. we all love stories. I'm not going to negate someone telling me a story. And so I, I think like, I think people get hung up, the college students that I work with, the young adults that I work with, they get caught up thinking to themselves, I have no margins to do anything. So it's like, okay, well, what's one thing you can do in what you're already doing that brings evangelization to the forefront, Mm -hmm. you know? Like maybe in your weekly phone call with your mom and dad, who you're hoping replug into the church, maybe you start speaking a little bit more about what God's doing in your life. Right. Um, and again, I'm not saying that that's su- sufficient long term, yeah. yeah. but it's never going to be sufficient long term when you're first starting. Like, yeah. oh, like my prayer life right now is not sufficient. I'm like working actively, like, God, what does it even mean to have relationship now that I'm at this level with you? And how do I get out of just the structure? Yeah. So, anyway, I would say plugging in one thing into what we're already doing. I don't yeah. know what you think about that, Dan. Yeah, no, I think that's really, I think it's, I think it's really wise. And I think there's, in the context of the new evangelization, there's two different groups of people. And sadly, to, to classify these two different groups, that you're, you're using very large margins that, or mm-hmm. generalities. But essentially, there are those who are in the fold, those who have already received the gospel, and they're trying to grow in Christian maturity, right? So people who are probably listening to this podcast, they've, they've heard the name of Jesus. They've accepted Jesus Christ in their lives. They're living life in grace. They're, they, they're active in the sacraments and they're striving to grow in holiness and mission, right? They're yep. growing in Christian maturity. That's, that group can, needs to continuously be fed, cared for, and nourished, right? We can't, we, it's not that we've received enough and now we're done. We're on autopilot, right? We need to care for ourselves spiritually. Then there's the other group that is lost. Those who have not heard the gospel the, or those who have heard the gospel, but they haven't repented and received the gospel and in their life. It, yeah. yeah. And and so it, I think in a well-balanced life and, and a well-balanced evangelist, you you find yourself ministering to both groups, right? And and so for the most part, like my children, I'm ministering to them. They're in this group that has received Jesus and they need ongoing Christian maturity. I have to be very focused to make sure that I don't just assume, well, they've received Jesus and now that's enough, right? And I'm just focused on the lost over here or else they'll become lost. Um, likewise, I can't just say, well, I need to make sure my my kids become Christian uh, and reach maturity. So I'm only going to focus on them because then what about all the lost? And so it really is about just living a well-balanced life of saying, mm. like, I'm I'm caring for those that God has asked me to care for, whether in my parish, in my family, in my friendships. And there there is a, mm-hmm. a realm of people that I am helping to build as I help to build myself in Christian maturity. At the same time, there is a realm of people that God has asked me to reach out to who mm-hmm. are the lost. And it and to discern, okay, where where do I focus my time? Where do I focus my energy? And am I giving myself to both? Sometimes I think we just find ourselves giving ourselves to one category, which may be unhealthy. To speak to that as well, um, I would I would charge with with two things. You know, we, we speak about the power of an invitation and the fact that your your Christian life will never be lived fully outside of an expression of intimacy with Jesus and mission. 
right? Encounter with the person of Jesus and, and a life of mission. And um, uh, that, that often happens through, through introduction or through invitation. So I, I'd say if, if you find yourself in the place of, of having an opportunity to invite people in, like take the leap and invite people in. So, you know, if, if you're in, if you're in youth ministry and you see somebody or, or you, or you know that there's opportunity for young people at your parish, like go out of the way to invite them to participate, to invite somebody to engage in that scripture study or that, or that small group or that mission trip or, mm-hmm. you know, going down to the food pantry. And at the same time, if you're, if you have been waiting for an invitation, stop waiting. Yeah. Invite, invite yourself in. Yeah. Right. Uh, gosh, go, go up to that youth minister at the parish who might be too shy to invite you in and mm-hmm. say, Hey, how can I help? Yeah. How can I be involved? Call the parish office and say, how can I be involved? I, I love, you know, when we, when we speak about the lost, we are talking about some of the people who are engaging with the show here um, beyond Damascus, mm-hmm. you know, if you're listening and you're curious or you're listening and you're angry or you're listening and you're filled with joy, yep. like don't wait for an invitation, uh, reach out, participate, mm-hmm. engage, uh, jump, jump into the process, right? That's right. Yeah. Well, I think something that's been on my heart, I think it ties in here, but like, I've just been thinking it since that first um, point that you made, Dan, about not making a marketplace. And it's, it's just been on my heart through all we're talking about. Like faith is not a private affair. I think we've bought into the Western world that like all the other beliefs we hold, it's just like, I'm conceptualizing things and I really need to figure it out in my own life. And I'm going to let other people figure it out in theirs. Like faith isn't a private affair at all. It's a communal affair. It's it's, it's a worldwide affair. Mm -hmm. It's for all. And it's it's funny because I'm doing a deep dive right now. And maybe we'll do an episode on this later on uh, men in the church. I've just been for a variety of reasons with our missionary program, really interested in why are men not participating at the rates that we would presume they should in the church today. And it's funny, I have some statistics and I'm not going to like read them like crazy, but a couple that kind of make this point for me is 73% of men share that religion, this is just religion, is at least somewhat important to them. Okay, 73, there's like three categories to that, but they it's, it's at least somewhat important. Of those 73, only about 31% of those 73 attend any kind of weekly religious thing. Okay, so that's 31. 62%, however, of those men say that they pray weekly. Now, again, some of that has to do with like meditation, but what I'm trying to say there is of the 73%, 30% feel like it's something they should share in with others. Mm. Whereas 62 of them, 62% of them say, well, I'm, I'm figuring it out. I'm thinking about it weekly, right? They've made it a private affair. Yeah. That's what's happened. It's like, well, because there might be a question out there that I don't know the answer to, I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna put my stake there just yet. I'll make it somewhat important. I'll kind of like hang on to this, but it's it's really about me figuring it out. And so I think that's an encouragement I have is if that's a block for you, like that's a huge step to take. If you're Catholic and you're like, I'm listening to this podcast and it's it's challenging all my presuppositions. It's like, well, tomorrow you can make it more of a public affair. Have you ever talked to your kids about the faith in any real way outside of just like a prayer before a meal, you know? Have you ever talked to your spouse about it? Like, look at those safe havens of places where it's like, these mm. people are in deep relationship with me. I can mess up here, you know? Like, I'm I'm fumbling through this stuff. Anyway, yep. I think the more that we can get into not making it a private affair, the better we're going to be in the Western world. That'll allow us to enter into the new evangelization. Good.
I love it. All right. Hey, this has been a fun conversation. Um, and I think there's probably people out there who have further ideas and thoughts that are deeper and more developed than us. Uh, feel free to comment and ha- have the conversation with us. Um, I think the, the neat thing is, um, you, you brought it up earlier, Brad. Um, I can't remember the context, but basically it's, it's through the doing that you figure it out. It's that it's that you learn. And so the reason we don't just want to talk about the new evangelization, but we want to do evangelization is it's like, none of us are perfect evangelists. None of us are perfect at sharing the gospel. And honestly, none of us are perfectly equipped or holy (laughs) enough to share the, the most sacred (laughs) word of God. Um, And yet we're called into the game as, as you said, Aaron, because the Lord has chosen us and he wants to participate with us. And as we do it, we learn. And, um, and so that's exciting. So we want to encourage you. If you feel like you've been on the bench, uh, don't condemn yourself. Uh, just know that Jesus Christ says, Hey, I want you in the game. And Jesus is giving you an invitation to start doing evangelization more to share the good news of the gospel. And if you feel like, well, I don't have the heart to share the good news. Then ask Jesus today to fill your heart with goodness and that you would encounter the power of his love. And when you encounter the power of his love, you can't but help but share that love. So let's just close in prayer in the name mm-hmm. of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. Lord, we pray for every listener today whose heart maybe just needs to be set on fire with your love. We pray, Holy Spirit, that you would enkindle in them the fire of your love that you would allow them to experience peace, love, and joy, and that the kingdom of God would become manifested in their hearts, that zeal would come alive, that their tongues would proclaim your your gospel, that their hearts would be made alive again. Lord, we pray for all of those who have received the gospel and who are um, passionate about you, but have fear of man that is holding them back. We pray for the courage of the kingdom to fall upon them. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Name of the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit. Amen. Thank you for listening. And we thank uh, St. Gabriel Radio, our sponsor of this show, for your support. We want to encourage you to like, share, comment, whatever you do with podcasts to help us get the word out uh, about the good news of mission. God bless.